Welcome to the Optimalist Podcast, where we examine just what it takes to ensure humans flourish in the age of AI. I'm Sarah, your host through this exploration of mindfulness, attention, focus, happiness, and motivation, all elements of human flourishing. So how do we cultivate them? This week, Don Sturm joins me to talk about parents, a topic we've been itching to branch into. So here we go. Much like Tim Belmont, who was our guest last week, Don is also a member of the Optimalist community. If you're on Twitter, you might know Don as the one amongst us all who's always asking questions. Don just completed his 32nd year in education. He spent the first 23 years as a social studies teacher and the last nine as a technology integration specialist. His interest in podcasting has allowed him to co-host a show meant for teachers, and this show has led to an interest in focusing specifically on caregivers with the district wellness coordinator. The goals of Care You, as it's called, are to walk alongside caregivers in a non-judgmental way and help them to be more intentional in their caregiving. So what better guest than Don to talk about parents today? Listen as Don and I discuss intentionality when it comes to using technology and the importance of teachers and parents working together to understand how to self-regulate and manage their own tech and social media habits so we can then model the best practices for our youngest generations. Basically, we're all in this together as we prepare to face the biggest challenge to our attention, AI. All this and more in my conversation with Don. Have a listen. As I got to the end of my classroom career, so I had, I was classroom teacher for, for 23 years, and I was not really happy with what I was doing. I was struggling a little bit. I just wanted something different. This tech integration specialist came open, and for years, that was just my focus. It's how do you get tech into the buildings? How do you get tech into the buildings? And as I did that for a while, it started to become, okay, how do we make tech more usable? It's not just about putting it into the buildings in the classrooms. It's like truly making it useful in the classroom. Well, then as I've done this for nine years, now I'm in that, I, I, I'm curious about all kinds of things. I mean, I've always been a curious person. But it's like, okay, what have we done with tech that is not good? What have we done with tech that is that might actually be harming kids and society? And so I think sometimes when people hear that I'm a tech integration specialist, it's like, oh, it's everything tech all the time. And I think that's what I've seen change for me over the last couple of years is really trying to parse out what is good about tech and what is wrong with tech? What is bad about tech? So that's become my, I think my focus the last, well, I would say probably couple of years. So, and I don't know, I, I know you and I have known each other now for a couple of years. There's a problem with being curious. If you can have a good problem, there's a problem being curious in that whenever you find out something new, you, you have to pivot, you have to change. And that's what I found myself doing in this role is not being the same person I was two years ago. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at at this point. 
It sounds like what you're saying is I like a lot about a lot about the way you're framing your perspective on the work that you do and why you've made some different choices. And it sounds like what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me if you're somebody who works with introducing like one of your primary roles is to introduce technology to people who might not or new forms of technology for the classroom to people who might not know how to use it or or how to implement it or you're discovering things that people just don't know about yet um, and bringing that to the forefront, you would hope that a core of that would be figuring out how to be innovative in that way and keeping an open mind to change, which is what I think I hear you saying, right? Being Having to kind mm -hmm. of wrap your mind around new things as they evolve and um, not just say, you know, I like technology and, and therefore my job is just to bring technology to you. It's to help you think through it as a teacher, I would say, right? Yes. In fact, my uh, I'm a one word kind of person and my word this year is intentional mm -hmm. because I think so much of what we do, not just with tech, but specifically that's what I focus on so much with technology. We are not intentional. We just... We just do it. There's a new app. We just open it up and we start using it. And we don't think about, okay, what, what is there a benefit to this app? What are the drawbacks of this app? And I think that's where I've really started to be more intentional with teachers and students um, when it comes to the use of, of technology. And are you finding yet in your capacity that people are asking questions of you regarding the use of things like AI, or has that not made its way into your realm yet? <laughs> it has made its way into my realm, but predominantly from a standpoint of academic dishonesty or yeah. cheating. There hasn't been, it's interesting that you asked that question because I just, I'm working with our high school principal to put together a PD that talks about kind of managing AI and to get it out of the just purely how bad AI can be and really starting to get us like, how can this be used? And when is it good? When is it bad? Again, more of an intentional use. It's been more from, I think a lot of times with tech, it starts off as the negative. Kids are doing this that is bad. How do we stop them from doing whatever it was they were doing? And so that's how it started off. I always try to flip it to, yeah, I want to answer those questions. I want to talk about, you know, what is academic dishonesty? So that's been more of the AI discussion in my particular district. Yeah, I don't think that you're alone there. That seems to be what, yeah. and, oh, and many other little mini issues are, that stem from that. But it does seem like defense is the, one of the first things that people are approaching. And so the reason why I'm, I even asked about it at all, I think the way that you are approaching talking to teachers about any, or even just thinking about the stuff on your own, I think the way you're approaching it really does bridge into our larger topic for today. And this idea of being intentional, I like that you mentioned that 
that that's your word for the year, I'm assuming? Yes. Yes, it is. So intentionality and exploration. I've just been jotting down some of the individual words or phrases that you've repeated. And so intentionality, exploration, experimentation, and even like managing, managing expectations um, and asking questions and being curious, like all of these things combined, I think are, are part of how we have to approach the way we think about how our students experience technology in general, but how they live the experience, I guess, of being a human being growing up in this in a world where if they, as an individual person, they could physically choose to wake up today and be entertained for 24 hours. And so when you bring up intentionality, I I really think it might be interesting if we even just use that as a guiding light for our conversation today when we talk about what is the role of the teacher and then the parent in helping our students learn to regulate the way they are able to handle the world that we are kind of marching into here in the age of AI because we're taking with us everything from the social media age, which I really feel like we're, we, we sort of are leaving behind and we're mixing it together with this new age that we can't navigate at all or predict. And how do we, how mm-hmm. on earth do we, like even just you, like how do we talk to students about this when we don't know really what to do or predict or handle ourselves? And to me, the idea is, can we be intentional about the way we, manage our own attention, the way we as adults do it, the way we think about how we talk about intentionality and regulation and mental wellness with our kids. Like, how do we do this as a school community? And, and like, that's kind of what we're going to break. I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent now, but I got excited, (laughs) but that's what I I think we want to talk about really is getting to the heart of like some of the things that you're thinking about and working on as far as as far as getting all of the adults in a child's life to work towards this goal. Yeah. Well, at least it's an easy task. <laughs> yeah. Sarah, uh, Don's going to solve it in the next 20 me. minutes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think about, I mean, I started teaching in 1991 and parents have always been, or I, I'm going to use the word caregiver and that will, that will um, make more sense probably later. But We've always known that the caregivers at home are important. Yeah. But then when the kids get to us in class, we just, we teach those kids in front of us. And we were always hoping that the parent component, the caregiver component was there. You know, we would have parent conferences. We would have meet your teacher But I think as we get into this kind of new period of time when it comes to AI and social media, I I think the caregivers become, I don't know that you could say they were more important now, they're more important now than they were in 91. But I think we, when we had parents in 91, they were not taking history class. They were not taking a math class. They had already gone through school. They were thinking about things the way that school was done when they were in class, when they were in school. Now we have a parent who's on social media. Right. We have a parent who is a model 
for their child. And that becomes, I think, even more important of a connecting point. And I, that sound, I, hopefully that didn't sound like a bunch of gobbledygook then, but really in my mind, what it is, if we are going to tell kids, you need to think about how much you're using your phone. You need to think about how much you're using social media. I think we need to bring the parents along, the caregivers along to get them thinking about the same kind of things. Are they being intentional with their use of Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or whatever they're on? Are they watching YouTube videos one right after right. another? Do they understand how information is served up? Do they understand the algorithms? Do they understand? Because we can talk until we're blue in the face to students about how you really need to be cognizant of this and intentional with it. But if the student goes home and sees their parent doom scrolling on TikTok for four or five, six hours a night, it kind of, I don't know, it's just not as effective. So I think parents are a really important component in this mix of how we get students to start using technology in a responsible way. Because it becomes a lot more than thinking and everyone listening will see why we're kind of mixing AI along with everything else that we're talking about, because some of it is similar in how we're thinking about it right now. But it becomes more than just how, how can this be used? Like when we're thinking about how things are implemented in a school or where the place for something, it becomes more than how can it be used, but really should it be used? And I think that's where the intentionality comes as well. And when you think about what, um, what you're saying now about the role parents play and how these things fit into the home, you know, we're so used to thinking in like the work that we do every day, thinking about the roles of people in a school building and how all of those connect in different departments and different, um, you know, administration and teachers and counselors and, um, and different grade levels and how all of us work together to do, to bring some sort of specific initiative together. But I think it, if we put that aside and do exactly what you're saying and think about the, the real influence that parents play or that parents have in the depth of, of school wide, I guess, initiatives, I think it's, it's pretty, profound and not only influencing school, but influencing the way students really see how people, how adults of different, you know, of all different ages use and, and manage their use of technology. Mm -hmm. It's more than just asking like, how can I use this, but really should I be using this at this time? And what, what should I, what can I be doing that's actually bringing me more intentionally into the life in front of me rather than pulling me away from it? Yeah. And I think the problem with this discussion, it's easy to go down a bunch <laughs> of it is. holes because it is, it's complex. Mm -hmm. Like I was just thinking as you were talking, I was thinking about like, I've got older kids and they, thankfully they were, you know, I have a 30 year old and a 25 year old. And so while tech was a part of their life, nothing like it is for students now. And I think about like when my kids, hopefully this is going to make some <laughs> sense. When my kids were in school, there were those things that I expected to be in school. You know, we expected whether it was right or wrong, we expected homework to come home. 
we expected reading books that we would have to sign off on. And again, what no matter how people feel about that, whether it was effective, not effective, we didn't go to the teacher, my wife and I, even though we were both, I'm an educator, she was trained as an educator. We didn't go to teachers and say, hey, you're not, you're not giving our kids enough to read. You're not giving our kids enough math homework. You're not giving, I mean, we just didn't do that. Now we have parents that are reaching out to school systems saying, we don't know what to do about social media in Mm -hmm. our house. We need some help. What are schools doing to help with this? I think it's kind of, I don't know if it's a flip. I don't know how to describe it, but we have just had more parents asking us for help. Like, how do we navigate this? And I think what they're saying is, we just kind of got caught up in it and now we're doing it and they want to throw their hands up in some ways. Like, I don't even know how to, how do I get my kid from watching YouTube seven hours a day? Mm -hmm. How do I keep them off of Instagram? How do I keep them off of TikTok? I think, I just think we're starting to have parents more and more reaching out to schools saying, help us, um, help us, figure this out. As part of that, do you have them, I know part of what you just said, I think hinted at this a little, but do you have them also kind of admitting that they need this practice as well? That they're, that they kind of don't know, they're having trouble navigating it on their own as well. Uh, you know, that that's an interesting question. Um, I don't know. I have thought about this in any number of ways. Part of me thinks that many parents and caregivers, they will recognize that their habits are not great once they start hearing about what a student or kids need to do to navigate the online world. Like, I'm not sure that, I I think parents are, they're human beings, so I don't think they were intentional with it. I think they jumped onto Facebook and they created an account and they got all these friends and they're sharing things. I don't know that they have always stepped back. And so one of the things I'm hoping is that, and you and I kind of talked about it, to me there's this circle where you have students and teachers and parents all working together. And when they do, I'm hoping that parents come to the realization like, oh, holy smokes, I'm not thinking about how I do social media. When I get home from work or the first thing I do when I get up in the morning is just scroll and scroll and scroll, I'm complaining about my own kid, but I have a problem. And that's what I'm hoping. I mean, I think some parents already have started to think about that. Um, And they're trying to be, I don't know if role model is the right word, but they're trying to be good role models for their child, but I think some have not quite gotten there yet. I mean, heck, I'm still Like, I'm involved. You and I met on social media. There are times where I sit there and I think to myself, I just spent 45 minutes Mm -hmm. on Twitter. And I started to get on Twitter to look specifically at blank, but now I'm reading about 14 other topics. That is not what I started out doing. And that, that this is coming from somebody who has worked hard to be more 
cognizant of what I'm doing online. Yeah, there's so many ways, <laughs> there's so many directions I could take this conversation yep. <laughs> right now. <laughs> I just wrote down like three different pathways here, but I'm going to try my best to not um, take it in, in an unknown direction yet and just ask first a question going back to the parents that you have been or the parents that have been speaking to you in your experience. So when you do get these questions or concerns from them, what as of now, have you been coming back to them with as a response? Or are you giving them any guidance as to how they can begin to think about this differently? Well, it it started off where I would have, like maybe the high school would say, hey, the parent club would like you to come in and we have this coffee with counselors once a month. Can you come in and talk about social media? And I would have to ask, like, well, wait, what do you mean? Like, like, what do you want me to talk about with social media? And they would say they just have questions. And so I would go into these meetings and just get peppered with things. Like, I wouldn't have a presentation. And I would say, like, what kind of concerns do you have? And they typically are around, like, a social media platform, like a Snapchat. And, and my recommendation always was, at the time... If you want to understand Snapchat and what your kid is doing, I would recommend getting on Snapchat. You know, get on there, figure out what they're doing so that when they say they're doing the, and I haven't been on Snapchat in a while, whatever they call it, you know, like their hidden right, features, yeah. you then understand, okay, oh, this is what my kid is talking about. But that only goes so mm -hmm. far because... If they have not been on Snapchat, they get on Snapchat, they mess around a little bit. I don't know that that still gives them that the long game. It still doesn't teach them, okay, well, how do you move forward with that? Okay, I found out about it, but how do you move forward? And that's where we've really shifted to how do we get information and topics to a wide variety of people in an easy format, and that's where the, the podcast that we started in our district kind of was born out of, um, is an easy way, a 20 to 30 minute forum where my co-host and I can talk about things, whether it's, it's not all technology, but technology kinds of things that parents then can say, oh, okay. Now I understand that longer game. I understand maybe the bigger picture of what I need to try to work with. So maybe we, because what you're saying here, Don, is you're explaining this concept, which I think is not unfamiliar to teachers and, and the experience of working with parents and caregivers in general mm -hmm. is wanting, like we said at the beginning, sometimes a lot of how we approach new stuff can be very like defensive at first we're on the we want to know how can we man how can we manage this how can we get ahead of this how can i figure out what my kid is doing like why is my kid doing this like how do i you know what are they doing on it mm -hmm. like all of these things that have to do with um not being familiar with new technology as it arises but i think what we need to do and you started to bring this up before is I think you were wrestling with whether role modeling or modeling is the right term, but I think modeling is definitely the right term. And what if we all, and I'm asking this really to everybody listening, what if we started to put aside the 
the kind of traditional way we think about being on the I don't even want to keep saying on the defense, but kind of trying to be proactive about thinking, what is my kid doing or how are they going to use this? Or like, are they going to be cheating? Are they talking to people they shouldn't be talking to? All of the bad things that might happen. And instead, combining with what Don's saying about like, if you want to know, then experiencing yourself, but not just looking and experiencing, but instead kind of modeling what it what it looks like to have a healthy mm-hmm. relationship with things that are unknown and showing not that like you're modeling how to use Snapchat like or modeling how to use Twitter because that's obviously like we're not looking over each other's shoulder and, and watching that but really it doesn't matter what everyone's using just modeling how to manage your attention away from that kind of thing how do you how do you spend your day at home like what do your weekends look like in your house that your kids are seeing that you are not no matter what you you like to use or you you find you know any kind of enjoyment in how are you showing that you actually can turn your attention away from that and be in the present moment yeah that, <laughs> again i chuckle because it's like oh that's so easy <laughs> to deal with it it is i think that is I would say right now in society, that's maybe one of the most important things we Mm -hmm. can do is figure out how we are using our time. But we need to redefine all kinds Mm -hmm. of things. Like I think about the word boredom. We need to redefine boredom to not mean a negative thing. I mean, that that in and of itself is a task. Like, because, oh, I'm bored. And uh, we just did uh, a podcast on this idea and what summer looks like. And if you don't, if you are not comfortable sitting with your own mind, we have to somehow make that okay. And it is okay to not have things pumped into your brain all the time. But that, while it sounds easy, it, I don't know if it sounds <laughs> easy, people think if they are bored for a second, they need to be doing something else. They need to turn on a TV. They need to open up their tablet. That, that initial response of like, I'm bored or like my brain needs something to do. I need to do something. That's actually, I think how we're supposed to respond to boredom, but the way we're responding to it is not anywhere near what should come out of the moments where we feel idle. And so we've now have a a billion things to click on to engage to literally just distract us from what's in front of us. What Don is explaining is this idea that there's a billion, a billion ways that we mind, we don't know, there's no intention behind it. It's like, I have nothing to do for five minutes. I'm going to, I'm going to just go check this. But now we're presented with this real challenge. And I think so many, so many of us just brush it off as like, well, I didn't do that. I was supposed to do this today, but I, I just, I, I didn't, I got distracted and we brush We brush distraction off or the mismanagement of our own attention. We brush it off as just like a part of our everyday life. And there's something so dangerous now to start to hear that so often. Um, and, and to think that we're going to, we're going to kind of go forward into the future of, of, of infinite distraction, feeling like we don't have any power over the way 
we work and think. And that's scary. You put that very well. You know, I was thinking about, so let's say I'm scrolling through Facebook or Twitter, you name it, Instagram, whatever. The number of times that I think, oh, that's a cool idea. And then I step back and I'm like, okay, that's a cool idea. But when we don't allow ourselves to sit in our own thoughts, a lot of the ideas we come up with are not really new ideas. Mm-hmm. And that's where that innovation comes from. You're like, I'm not just taking ideas from other people and saying, oh, I like that. And then just replicating it with me. Yeah. And I, I like to, um, I have this quote open on my screen and I, not really a quote, it's a little, it's a part of a tweet. Again, second mention of Jen, Jen Shirley on this episode. She's become like the muse for this podcast, I think, recently. <laughs> but I, when you brought up boredom, I immediately was transported to, I, I knew that she had tweeted about it the other day. And I always jump on things on Twitter when I see people writing about boredom. And so I, I went and found her tweet. And I wanted to just read this because I also think that it connects back to what we are talking about regarding the role of parents and how you're asking this question about how can we, I think you said, how can we get all this information out on a wider scale? And like, we could even think about as not just getting information out, but also involving everybody in the experience. We're all in this together. It's not just how do I how do I figure out what my kid is doing on the internet? How do I teach them to do it? It really is every single person has to learn how to manage this together and help each other. And I think that's where we're coming in with the circle of, you know, teachers, parents, students, like let's, how do we educate all of us to, to kind of be part of this supportive community in a world that we don't really understand. And so Jen Shirley tweeted the other day, She said, boredom or the perception of being bored is such an interesting conversation to me. This is one of the most underrated and under-discussed areas. And then she just modeled a question and an answer. And imagine, I'm thinking, imagine this was the question, the only way every single school opened every single school year. Academics come second, and this is the question. How do we teach our kids to be self-sufficient, independent, and to accept boredom? That's the question. And then the answer is we model this as part of daily life. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so if that's the guidepost, like literally if we, that that's the guidepost, if we say this is the spotlight, this is the opening year assembly, this is the, you know, your orientation in the summer when you're starting middle school, like this is the question that we're asking because there is nothing else that we do in and out of school like in the home and and in the school, that does not fall into that category of being self-sufficient, independent, accepting boredom, accepting moments when you are accepting the idea even that you do not have to pull yourself into an engaging or entertaining experience at every moment. And then from that comes the innovation in, okay, how do we do this then? What are we doing? And, and it's funny, it's like we almost have to reteach ourselves how to be human beings because that should come, that does come naturally to us as humans when we do not have the resources to be pulled into entertainment at our fingertips and scene. <laughs> I, I, yes. I, I mean, and so again, it gets me thinking about a lot of things. And, and I, this is not, I mean, I know the podcast is not a plug for focusable in and of itself, but 
it's really the work that you've helped lead that has made me start to think much more about this. I don't know that I was intentional, as intentional as I, oh, I know I wasn't two years ago. I mean, I just, I wasn't. And now when you start to know I am going to be more intentional about this, it then gets you thinking about that all the time. So for instance, this morning on Twitter, the question that I asked was, I, and I don't remember it exactly, but it was, you know, when was the last or what was the last thing that you became interested in that was not on your radar at first? And that's the thing that to me is so awesome about just not like being willing to be bored. And I have bored in, you know, quotation marks is you start to think about things and you start mm -hmm. to say, huh, that's interesting. I never really thought about that before. And then that takes you down a path and maybe it fizzles out and that's all right. Or maybe it opens something up that you're like, now this becomes my, my, it becomes my life mission because I had never thought about that before. Be all because I read an article that I hadn't read before. And so I, I think, I think at some point you mentioned this, you don't have to fight boredom by literally sitting and doing nothing. You can, mm -hmm. and you could in your thoughts, but it could be, Hey, you know what? There's been this article that I've been wanting to read and rather than scroll through Facebook or TikTok or whatever, I'm going to pick up this article and I'm going to read it and it's new information. And then that causes your brain to say, oh, okay, I want to find out more about this particular information. Like that's, that's what I think we're hoping everybody does and and people within society as a whole do whether it's a five-year-old or whether it's a 50-year-old yeah because you're getting to the heart of the matter now as we always do here on the optimalist podcast we get to the important stuff in the last five minutes <laughs> you're getting to the heart it takes us 40 minutes to warm up here <laughs> but you're getting to That's the heart right. of <laughs> we're getting to you're getting to the heart of the matter now which is how much does this all all of this stuff that brings us out of the self and away from the core experience of, of being human. Like how does all of this stuff really keep us from exploring and being curious? And then I start to list some of those words or, or concepts like curiosity and resilience and all of these things. And I immediately am brought back to, you know, thinking about the main issues that teachers still ask questions about their, their, pretty consistent the things that people are always looking for for ways to solve like if you're someone that spends a lot of time looking at the things people talk about on twitter and places like that like people are forever looking for answers of how to get how to get kids interested how do you get kids curious and you know do we stop enough and think about why are they not curious and why do we expect you know teachers can't have all the answers you know, why do we expect the answer to be easy? You know, the answer is a lot about disconnecting from some of the things that are taking away our natural drive towards discovery, not taking away, but managing that, I think. Yeah. And here's where, I mean, I get into some, like, I, I don't have all the answers um, about this. I'm, I'm still exploring it. But to me, curiosity is so important 
to moving us forward as a civilization. And I mean, that sounds like, wow, that was, <laughs> that's a big <laughs> statement, but it is, that's how we, when we're curious about things, that's how we learn about others. And that's how we gain empathy. And that's how, and I think there are so many things that shut down curiosity, whether it be social media scrolling, whether it be just mindlessly watching uh, YouTube, even though I would argue that in some cases, like I think about my son, he's unbelievably curious like I am. And I think he makes decent use of YouTube. That's where he goes out and is not just mindlessly watching it. The other thing that we haven't gotten to yet is when we start talking about like the parent role, what we found, like, I think what we all know is there is no instruction manual. Like, it, you have kids in your household, and there is no instruction manual that says this is exactly what you should do and how you should do it. And what we've tried to do in our district is help caregivers with that um, and give them, you know, a, a, an easy-to-listen-to podcast that says, hey, are you interested in how to handle screen time? Let's mm -hmm. throw out some ideas and, and do that. And we've gotten a really good response from caregivers in our district. And they want, they're, they're like thirsty for this. They want more. Um, we didn't know how this podcast was going to go over, but um, we just find out they just want more and more because the parents are like, we just don't know how to navigate this at all. And so that's kind of the, the route that our district has taken. Yeah. And so I think the question we want to, I know we've kind of gone, I don't want to say completely off topic, but we've, we've woven in and out of a few things in, in this conversation as Don and I sometimes do. But I think the question that we would <laughs> want to leave everybody, cause you know, we could, we could go deeper on some of these things. But I think whenever we have an, a conversation on this show, we're really just, it's really just an introduction to a topic that maybe you've thought about a little bit yourself, or you've had conversations with um, other teachers in your school, at, or you just, um, you know, you're interested in starting to think about. So they're really just little intros to start you on a journey of thinking more deeply about how, how you do things yourself in a certain way, um, et cetera. So there's always uh, more to say, but I think the question we would want to ask is can or how can parents be integrated into the process of learning, self-regulation, mindfulness? We haven't really mentioned those words specifically in this episode, but I think that's what we're kind of getting at is how can we be integrated into the process of being intentional, mindful, and aware in the same way that they are brought into the process of other things that, that we traditionally associate with the school experience. And I think that's that kind of is tied to why I read that um, tweet from Jen Shirley before, because she almost simplifies it perfectly of what if we, and I, you know, was connecting that to like, what if we, at, what if we started every school year with this question? Like, how can we all do this? The answer is we model it. And, and, and I think, um, you know, the answer that, that Don is probably now I'm just talking for you, Don, just pretending that you're not here. <laughs> uh, is Don is probably inching, I think, 
like, can tell me if I'm wrong, but inching closer and closer to this concept of parents needing to take on some of this role themselves and really, really learn how to model this behavior in their own lives. Oh, absolutely. And I think the whole, t- when you were talking, I was like, okay, what am I going to say here? And I think, I think districts have to start, I'm going to use the term taking risks. They have to start pulling parents in to the discussion and not just have like, not just be directive toward parents. Like, Hey parents, you need to do this, 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 and this. I think we need to just have them part of the conversation when it comes to things that are not always just directly school related. Mm -hmm. And like, I think about, we've kind of hinted around about it, but in our district, we, uh, a colleague and I started, it's just called care you. Um, It goes along with some other things that we have like tech you, you know, kind of stands tech university care and it's for caregivers. And we have done book studies we and we'll continue to do those. We do a podcast. We do, and we're trying to bring parents in on things that aren't just purely what we think of school related. Like, how do you help your kids study? How do you help this? It's more like, how do you like what is bullying? Um, what is focus? What are screen restrictions? Like, getting them to think about topics like that. And make it like we're really big on our our goal is to do it in a non-blaming, non-shaming way. Because I think we found from our political system, it doesn't do any good to shame people. Like maybe a parent has this, nope, I let my kids have a device at the dinner table. I might look at that and say, yeah, I probably wouldn't do that. What we would rather do is get them thinking about what what does that do? Mm-hmm. Like get them to think about it. And maybe they come to the realization that, Oh, okay. Maybe that's a place I can start. And I, I think we just have to do more and more of that. Uh, when we started this, I mean, our district has, they have really stepped up when it comes to this, because when we pitched the idea to our superintendent, there was a bit of a concern, like, how do we do this and not shame people? Mm-hmm. <laughs> how do we do this and not make it seem like we know the right answers? And I think that's what districts are going to have to start. That's what, I think that's what districts need to start doing is show parents that we're willing to have these conversations that are bigger than just, hey, how do you do math homework? How do you do social studies homework? But they're bigger kind of life type things. I think what you're getting at here, and this might be a great way to to start wrapping up this conversation here. I'm going back to the uh, image of this circle of of people who are involved in this: the teacher, the student, and the and the parents. But that that circle of communication and and um, working together and supporting each other. But what you're just describing there sounds perfect for that model because, you know, then I think what the future holds here is that we're no longer saying um, as a parent, no longer looking towards a teacher or the school in itself and saying, tell us how to do this or 
Why are we doing this? Explain to us how we do this with our kids. And as a teacher or a school, no longer looking to parents and saying the same thing. It's no, it's like not tell us, tell us this or tell us how we should do this. It's rather, here's how we all do this. Like all of us together, we're all in a thing. We're all in this circle and it's, it's not either or's responsibility to know more. It's not, it's not like two sides of a, like a student in the center and then like the teacher on one side or the school on one side and the home on the other, um, going back and forth. It's literally like, this is the world we all live in and none of us know what we're doing. So let's talk about it together and what behave and figure out what behavior do we want to see in ourselves? What experience of, it's not even behavior or academics or, or anything, it really comes down to what, like all of the stuff that we talk about on this podcast comes down to what experience do you want to have in life? Like that is what you have to decide with everything now going into the age of artificial intelligence, having now lived what 15 plus years soaked in social media as, as like a big part of big part of who you are, like as an individual, like really you have to think, where do I find happiness? What does happiness mean? If it has to do anything at all with with the people that are around you and the things that you're experiencing in the world, like something has to be done where we all think about how to get there. Um, and and I and if and we can't do that by expecting certain people to be experts on it because none of us can be. We all have to figure it out by modeling that behavior. What is what does it look like to be an attentive, intentional adult or child individual in this world today? And then we have to model that behavior. Yeah. And, and I would say when we were putting our podcast together, we came up with four words and terms or words and or terms that guide what we're doing. And the one big one is we are walking alongside you. Mm-hmm. And I think that perfectly describes what you were saying. It's when you say, I'm going to walk alongside you, that's not, you're not leading, you're not following. Yeah. You are, I, I am in this with you. You want to be intentional. Whatever it is you decide, have some intentionality to it. Why am I doing this? Why am I letting my kid do blank at this time? Right. Does it matter? Like, I'm not going to tell you, I may think it in my head. I'm not going to tell you that is wrong, but if you're intentional, that is half the battle. And then that non-blaming and non-shaming. I mean, I think all four of those things were, are wrapped up nicely in, in what you said. And I think if we can do that, I think we're going to gain, I'm hoping that we would gain more respect for the education community. Cause I know, you know, that, Teachers feel like they are fighting that battle, like they don't have the respect of the bigger community. And I think this only goes toward helping bridge that. It it helps build that relationship um, between everybody that's involved uh, with educating their child. And I think that a good way to, good way to, we could have began like this, but let's end like this. Don had given me a quote from a student the other day or last night, the other day while we were talking. And I think it kind of is a good, a good way to end this discussion, like exploratory discussion about where our responsibilities lie here, but hearing it from a student. um, And I don't know what age was the student, do you know? Uh, In junior high. 
Okay. And our junior high is seventh, eighth. Okay. So a seventh or eighth grader said, we're in a giant, he feels like we're in a giant experiment where we had no choice but to participate. And knowing that's from like a middle schooler, I think is pretty worth noting. And I don't, I feel like even just saying that out loud to whoever is listening to this right now, there's probably so many of you that have echoes of that sentiment that you've heard from students, um, whether you overhear them talking to each other or they're coming right out and say, I mean, it's becoming more and more common for kids to almost be more aware of what's wrong than the adults around them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of we're seeing a lot of the cries out of like, what do we do here? How do I help my kids? And it's coming from the kids. And so, you know, I think that if there's if if nothing has inspired you to move move in the direction of learning how to self-manage this before we, you know, know how to before we try to try to do this with our kids, then I think it should be the fact that the kids are asking for it and they don't like the feeling of being not in control of their daily experience of being alive. And I think none of us do. Yeah. Okay. So with that, that was well put. (laughs) um, With that, um, we're going to bridge not so seamlessly into, into our ending segment. And uh, Don, it's been really cool to have this uh, sort of, I don't want to say completely impromptu conversation, but just so if anyone wants to know Don's sitting in his car right now, (laughs) Which is kind of cool. I love recording with people wherever they are. Um, It's fun time. But to kind of, yeah, it's not really a seamless transition, but it doesn't matter. But we wanted to end like we do all the time by just getting a little bit more from where Don's brain is and where he's, where he's, (laughs) what he's been thinking about, like, um, and, and listening to and reading all of those fun things that, um, help us to understand a little bit more about the full picture of of Don. So, and I know Don is a listener, an avid listener uh, to this podcast too, and he always tells me what what he enjoys about the conversations that we have here. And so, I'm excited to hear a little bit and share a little bit of, with everyone here about uh, Don's uh, experience. So. With that, Don, you can answer any of those questions, but what is something you're reading or listening to or watching that can give us some insight into your world? Well, I think with, uh, I am in the last, I don't know, probably year, I've become fixated with the idea of complexity Mm -hmm. and that everything, like if you have a simple answer to most things, it's not enough. And so with that in mind, I've really set out to read things or watch things or listen to things that that kind of feed that interest in complexity. So like right now, I am reading The End of the World is Just the Beginning um, by Peter Zihan, I think is how it's pronounced. And it's this book that my wife was like, holy smokes, that just sounds not interesting at all. Um, and it just talks about how with birth rates declining... It is going to impact all kinds of things around the world, and it it feeds into that need for understanding complexity. So that's that's one thing I'm reading. I uh, watching. I just got done watching the was it shiny happy people mm-hmm. or the the Duggar thing? I don't know if you have watched that. Or I have not. It 
it's crazy. Uh, it's I don't know that that feeds my need for complexity, but that was uh, <laughs> that is a, that is a crazy show. And then podcast, I'm always listening to smart people podcast through line. I my issue is, is I just I the more I know, the more I think. I I don't remember who came who said this quote, but it's like the more you know, the more you know. There's more stuff to know. Mm-hmm. And that's just like my philosophy. I just keep pumping stuff into my head, uh, which is not always a good thing because sometimes <laughs> I need to step back and say I need to do something with it, um, and not just keep filling my head. Yeah, I guess it depends on what you're on what it is that you are consuming and the reasons for it. Um, but I get that's mm-hmm. another part. You know, it's another part of our oh, endless, yeah. endless of the endless um, stuff that's available to us today. Sometimes it's not really entertainment. Sometimes it's so. I heard someone say the other day. I can't remember where it was, but that um, they just read. It was. I think it was on a podcast, and it was a it was a famous person saying it too. Um, I don't remember who but that they feel like they literally just read too many articles. Like they, they spend oh, an hour yeah. and they wake up in, in, in bed and they're still, they sit in bed for an hour and you might not think while reading articles and, you know, in the LA times in the morning is for an hour, it doesn't seem to be a negative activity, but when it then is 10 o'clock on a Sunday and she's like, well, I'm still in bed and I, like it's just yeah. a weird oh, yeah. feeling. I, it's like a mixed feeling of like, yeah, maybe I was reading things, but like, did I need to read seven articles this morning? Like, just because they're available to me. Yeah, that's a battle um, life. I, when I could have read, yeah, I could have read two and then been out on a walk with my husband or something like that. Like instead, I'm here in bed reading articles and articles and articles. Um, and and again, a whole other episode. But it is that idea of, I mean, I read and consume so much that it is, I've, I've told myself mentally, what are you doing with all this? Like yeah. that to me, that's where I'm struggling. If there's a struggle I have right now, well, I have many struggles, but the one struggle <laughs> I'm having, having is what do I do with that? All um, that stuff. Yeah. So, and yeah, so there's so many things as everyone can hear we we can continuously branch out into into other topics here but we're now going to end with um asking the question of all questions here on the optimist podcast which is what is if you have one a way of focusing or managing attention or paying attention that you feel works well and you would recommend to others to give a try um for me it has been um I have pr- practiced mindfulness regularly for the last few years and now daily for the last, I'm going on day 340 or something like that. That has just taught me a, a tremendous number of things about myself. Like I, I can catch myself now. Uh, I think people have a misunderstanding of meditation or mindfulness. They think they're trying to clear their mind, and it's not. It's just recognizing when you lose focus and you lose attention. And I am so much better at that now. And so I think I am. I think I'm calmer. I don't think I lose my patience as much anymore. So it's just I've just made that a a daily part of my routine. Yeah, talking about the 
word, the concept and word of, of mindfulness with people is something that's become a really, <laughs> it's like a crusade of mine of figuring out where mm-hmm. people's misconceptions are. But we won't go into that again, because that's all over so many episodes of this show. But I'm so glad that we were able to figure out how to do this today, Don. I think we talked for way longer than we thought we would. And it's like some we need a third person to tell us to stop, I think. Um, yes, when we're, yes, that, yes. we're doing anything, there has to be someone whose job is just to give us a hand signal and be like, all right, um, time to stop going into another direction, you know? Um, but before we go, uh, I wanted you to, wanted to give you an opportunity to tell people where they can find you on the internet, um, other things that you're working on that you would love to tell people about and anything that we are mentioning here as always will be in our show notes for people to find easily. But where can people find you, Don? Uh, I am on all of my social media handles are at Sturm Don, uh, probably most active on Twitter. Um, I have a, a blog called Schools Can Be Better, and it's at schoolscanbebetter.com. And then I also produce a couple of and co-host a couple of podcasts through the educational looking glass is the one that's directed mostly at teachers slash educators and then care you, which is the one that is meant for um, caregivers. So yeah, I'm in a lot I, and I'm always working on, usually it's the podcast. That's, that's where my passion is right now. Yeah. And I know that to be true about you, you've been itching to be, doing something in podcasting for a while, which is cool to see you be able to not only launch that yourself, but also um, combine it with some of the things that you feel passionate about regarding education. So I encourage everybody to check that out and give give Don a follow. If you want to discuss any of these things with us, we're always, we're always looking for you to jump on, on Twitter or, or anywhere really. And just uh, let us know what you think and give us some comments and, and feedback. Yeah. Thanks for stopping by the studio today, Don. Yeah. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Sarah. It's always interesting to hear how people in different parts of the country or the world are approaching issues that we all think about how to tackle. And I love how Don has become so proactive in this stage of his journey in education. He's truly dedicated to finding ways to bringing us all together in our shared mission to raise a more mindful generation. So thank you, Don, for joining me today. As always, your feedback is the best way to help the podcast grow in its purpose and to help us keep getting better. You can leave a comment on Substack, a review in Apple Podcasts, and you can reach me on Twitter at scandela 9 You can listen and subscribe to The Optimalist Podcast wherever you love listening to great podcasts. New episodes are released every Wednesday. Links to all of these resources are available in the show notes. The Optimalist Podcast is brought to you by Focusable, the only app that gives you the pulse you need for better attention. And it's free. Create an account today at getfocusable.com or by downloading Focusable on any iOS or Android device. You can also follow us at Get Focusable on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening to The Optimalist. I'll see you next week. Stay focused.